Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, Episode 61 for October 12th, 2006, ISP Privacy. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by Dell. For this week's specials, visit twit.tv slash Dell. It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here, and uh, I have a report on my um, experiences with uh, Windows Vista and Parallels on the Mac, and I'll tell you about that because I promised a review, but uh, we have lots to talk about, including some security issues. Oh, some security issues. What do you know? <laughs> On security now. So so tell us about Vista uh, you know, and I, Windows. I use Parallels. Parallels and, um, in fact, I'm just now downloading the uh, final update to Parallels because we've been in a kind of a beta and the the first beta did not run Windows Vista at all on my and now I'm running on a Mac Pro with very high end hardware, uh, including a Radeon X nineteen hundred card and uh, dual Xeons and so forth. Well, in fact, I saw a mention in in Jerry Pornell's most recent column that you've got some you have like a quad core system. <laughs> it's a it's it, yeah basically it's dual Xeons so it's got four processors and. Um, uh, boy, it runs. I mean, I have to say, it seems to run at completely normal speeds. So there's some a little couple of weirdnesses, which I'll see if they fixed in the beta. For instance, sometimes I'll start it up and says it'll say, "Oh, the virtualization bit isn't set," and then the fix is to put your Mac to sleep and and then uh, and then wake it up, and for some reason that magically fixes it, and the, then the virtualization bit will be set. You know, in the in the Intel processors, and that does make a significant difference in response when everything's running as it should, and I'm running it with a gig of RAM. I have four gigs on the machine, but a gig of RAM dedicated to Windows. Right. Uh, it feels pretty good. We did some ba- benchmarks at uh, Call for Help, Sean Carruthers, because uh, I, had, I had wondered how well, would it be better to run Photoshop in Parallels or run it natively on the Mac? And it actually is faster to run it as a Windows application in, in Parallels <laughs> than it is to run it on the Mac. It's pretty slow Very on the cool. Mac. Yeah. Although fastest still would be to run it in boot camp as a native Windows application. Parallels is pretty good, I have to say. I, I don't feel any urge... Uh, to uh, to to launch boot camp now there are some people say uh, there's some question about whether i'm getting aero glass or not i thought i was because it looks so pretty uh, but i haven't found a definitive i'm a little concerned that i might act might not be getting aero glass uh, the the high-end visual system so i'm downloading the latest version maybe as we talk i'll install it and uh, before the end of the show i might <laughs> i might have an update for you on whether i'm running aero glass or not well and, and and in fact on your mac you probably have some humondo hard drive right yeah, I have. Uh, I bought a, you know, it came with a 250 gig hard drive, but I am want, I've done this on all my most recent machines, to go out and buy a Western Digital Raptor, which is a 10,000 RPM hard drive, and use that as the boot disk. So that's a 150 gig or 170 gig boot disk, and then I have a 250 gig uh, kind of secondary disk. So unless that was like really full, you could certainly slice it down a little bit and use boot camp. I, I, I'm just thinking it would be useful perhaps to, I do to a benchmark? run. 
Well, or, or well, just to like you know, for for you to actually have a bootable native bootable right. vista. Certainly, certainly there's plenty at, of at some room. Point the, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, maybe I will do that. And there's some report that you no longer need a boot camp to actually get Vista to boot uh, on the Mac, which is kind of interesting. So um, I'll have to take a look at that as well. I guess maybe wow. maybe Vista now supports EFI or there's some black magic somebody's able to do. I'm not sure what it is. but I'll, It certainly I'll is that. sounding like Microsoft may be moving more toward running Windows on Mac hardware, Why not? which just would be ex- exactly. Sells more copies. But to just, you know, to follow through on our virtualization conversation of the last few episodes, it really is a great way to go. I just, I just don't feel any urge to install Vista anywhere else. It's still a beta, right? And why take the chance when I can run it uh, perfectly well on a virtual machine? Right. It really right. feels good. So, uh, le- yesterday was uh, the uh, patch Tuesday, uh, the second Tuesday of the month. Microsoft shipped a few patches. Oh, a few. I, I bet I've, I've, I've read it described on the web as a hailstorm. <laughs> That's probably not of, the word they wanted to use, but I, I understand of, where they're going there. Yes. Of patches. So, and they, they fixed a another zero-day vulnerability, mm. which we haven't talked about before. Uh, it's different than the... the um, the vector markup language vulnerability that you know we talked about several weeks ago this one was actually was known since july the middle of july and then only a few weeks ago the infamous hd moore who who creates the the metasploit framework added uh, full remote execution you know remote code installation technology to the metasploit exploit um, framework for for this vulnerability, um, it, it's uh, f- for for months. It was only known as a denial of service, meaning that it would crash your browser. But oh, and and I, and I, I should explain that this was. Um, I'm looking for what this. There, there's so many of them now because there's another one I'm going to talk about too. I don't want to get myself confused. Oh, it, it was the there was a set slice method in what's called the web view folder icon function, mm-hmm. and for so. So for a long time, all that anyone could do was get it to crash your browser. But right. of course, anytime you have a crash, that says, you know, some code ran that shouldn't have. And so once the black hat hackers figure out how to get the code they want to have run, run instead, it won't crash. It'll do something nasty. Mm. And it, ha- it, it has been found in the wild installing rootkits on people's machines. So they, it, it, that's kind of what you'd expect. The first time that they jump into code, it just crashes things. But they know now, well, hey, we're able to get it. So we just have to figure out where to put our code so that it'll run it instead of just crashing. And right, it's just a, first, in, it's a precursor, I guess. Yes, and inevitability, and inevitably, uh, this was developed from a so-called you know browser denial of service, meaning it would just you know deny your browser. It would just crash your browser. It was leveraged into a remote code execution wow. exploit. Now, now, is this something Microsoft patched yesterday? Yes. Okay. Yes. So 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 the point is, it you absolutely want to be running Windows Update, or you want to make sure that you got the most recent patches. I should mention that you know many times our 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 security now show notes is just a page where I say hi. I didn't have any links. Okay, <laughs> we, we, this is going to be a link farm. <laughs> this is a link farm episode. I'm going to have a whole page of links, so listeners will probably want to go over to the show notes for episode 61. And as I mentioned last time, that's the third icon in the little summary 
uh, box on the Security Now page because I'm going to have a whole ton of links for different stuff. A slew. So, so the 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 previous zero day exploit, the VML exploit, that of course has been fixed. I, by the then, way, I apologize for all the Windows sounds. You don't hear them, Steve. But uh, I'm booting up Vista, and it's making a oh. lot of noise. <laughs> <laughs> Well, whatever it's doing is not messing up our connection. <laughs> you so don't, you don't hear it. It's just, well, that's one of the advantages of having quad processors is I'm looking at the CPU uh, usage, and there's 100% on CPU 1, but we've still got only 7% on CPUs one of 3 and 4. So I think right. I think Skype's got plenty of headroom here. I'm sorry. I think so. I mean, you're doing this on the system, the that, I'm system ta- that, that we're you're using? On. Yeah, I know. I'm a crazy man. I know. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's a test. Okay. <laughs> Think of it as a Only test. Only a test. Okay. So so the original VML exploit that we talked about extensively a month ago, that, of course, was fixed by an out-of-cycle patch a couple weeks ago. Since then, Microsoft has fixed another zero-day exploit. The reason I'm making sure we're clear on this is that there is still another one. Oh, man. There is one that is now known is being exploited, is in the wild, and it has been confirmed that yesterday's Windows Update patches did not fix it. Microsoft knows about it. There's a link about it on their page. They're doing their standard, oh, well, you know, we'll either fix it in a normal patch cycle or in an out-of-cycle patch if you know depending upon customer needs is what they say however this thing is again once again it's gathering momentum and we can expect to see you know a much wider range of exploits it's a it's what, a remote ex- execution exploit it's a remote execution exploit it is um it's now in the wild microsoft knows about it but yesterday's patches did not include a fix for it so who knows when when we're going to get one now one of the things that people are noticing and and i'm sure this is not a coincidence it's it's you know it's it's evolution it's what you'd expect is new exploits are appearing either on the day of microsoft's patch or shortly afterwards because they're wanting to get as large an exploit window as possible. Oh, so they before. wait until... Yes. They're taking advantage of this one-month delay. Exactly. Oh, man. So, so it's, good for, it's good for security uh, IT people because they know when to anticipate a hailstorm uh, of patches. On the other hand, <laughs> but by, by... I mean, and it's logical when you think about it. This is what the bad guys would do. Right. Is Microsoft says, we're going to patch on the second Tuesday of every month, so exploits appear on that day when Microsoft doesn't, or maybe shortly before, shortly afterwards, but like r- clustered around there so that so that they they have the maximum opportunity of catching Microsoft, you know, off cycle to create the most opportunity for getting their malware installed in people's machines. Those sons of guns. Well, <laughs> once again, the the neat guys at Zert, uh, Z-E-R-T, the Zero Day Emergency Response Team, they've got a goodie which will fix. Both the the zero day exploit that Microsoft just patched, uh, and this this other one. The other one is is a it's a it's a problem in the direct animation ActiveX control that IE 
naturally will use. It's been known since the middle of September, that is to say shortly after Microsoft's last patch cycle. Um, uh, the SANS Security Institute has some like some mitigation steps. They say, well, use an alternate browser, which is like, uh, yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> okay, uh, Firefox or Opera or whatever. Right. Or they say disable ActiveX scripting. And, wow. of course, you know, that's... the way I run, as I've said before, is I, I've got my security tightened so that I can browse around the net with no ActiveX and then selectively enable it for sites where, where it, you know, there is some functionality that I need. Now, there's another thing that can be done, and I've got, again, links to all of this on the show notes for, for episode 61, this episode. Um, there's a way to set a kill bit for ActiveX controls that specifically prevents Internet Explorer and the Explorer Viewer window. So that also covers you over in Outlook. It prevents IE from being able to use that ActiveX control itself. Again, I've got a link to Microsoft's page that describes it. In order to do this, you've got to get in and muck around with the registry. So instead, that's what the Zert guys have done. They've got a very clean GUI and command line versions of what they call their Z protector, which apparently is going to be maintained and evolved over time. The idea being that when something occurs that's zero day, They'll quickly respond by making an easy fixer, you know, a zero-day protector that will, for example, in this case, just enable the kill bits so that IE won't, you know, basically neuter that functionality in IE until Microsoft gets around to fixing it. Then people will have to turn that back on. So it's very much like what they did with the VML exploit. This thing is available from Zert. You could put Z-E-R-T into Google and find it easily. Or, again, the, the, the show notes page at GRC for this episode has links to it. They provide full source code. I've looked over it. It looks fine. I mean, these are good guys. These are white hat hackers. And it looks like they're going to be real busy, uh, not only now, but um, almost certainly uh, in Vista times, uh, fixing these sorts of problems. Because, I mean, we really got a new form of arms race going now where, as exactly as you said, Leo, hackers are, are clustering their release around the... Um, around Microsoft's timing in order to maximize their window of opportunity. And it's now the race is to install malware in people's machines in order to take them over for various purposes. Uh, and it's it's going to be a nightmare. Wow. Well, um, I'm glad that Zert's around anyway. And uh, it's interesting that uh, hackers, have, they're so uh, adaptable that they quickly uh, see a sensei opportunity and take advantage of it in like this one month delay. Well, and it really, you know, it's the kind of thing where after the fact you would think, yeah, well, naturally that's what they would do. Sure. They want they want the most opportunity <laughs> yeah. for infecting machines, so yeah. they're going to wait till Microsoft does a cycle and then dump their their new malware out on the net. And so, you know, this again, uh, I do recommend people who 
who are using IE who normally have ActiveX enabled, you those people ought to protect themselves. Again, I don't want to get alarmist about this. This isn't yet a huge problem, but Microsoft just missed the opportunity to patch it. It did not make it into this round. That is yesterday's Windows Update patches. And who knows how long it's going to be. Microsoft may do another, like, you know, mid-cycle patch two weeks later, as they did two weeks ago for, for the VML vulnerability, or not. In any case, if, if you're a person who's using IE with ActiveX installed, and you tend to go around to, you know, the darker uh, sides of the Internet, that's where this stuff is being installed and, and being used now to take over people's machines. Again, another zero-day exploit, the third we've talked about in uh, almost as many weeks. Wow. Uh, anything else to uh, talk about today? I think that covers our errata. All right. Uh, what I want to talk about today is uh, to sort of address, this is sort of almost a mini Q&A, just a one-question Q&A. Oh, but what be- a question. <laughs> well, it's a, yeah. That's it, it, we get it, a lot. It, it's a good one. It's one, in fact, what I was talking to you about uh, before we started recording, what I wanted to talk about. You said, oh, yeah, someone just asked that, you know, today or yesterday. I did an interview you. today, and somebody called up and said... Um, it, it, do uh, instant messenger programs log the chats? And I said, well, some do, some don't. But your Internet service provider may well be logging what you're doing online. Right. And the question we get that, that, that we get submitted on the form at the bottom of the Security Now page, and I see it often, is, okay, I'm... I've got my computer secure. I've got, you know, WPA, Wi-Fi. I'm I'm, you know, I'm doing everything I can, but what are what are what are the concerns about what my ISP is doing? You know, and and we could generalize ISP a little bit. Most people think of ISP of course from their home network who is your internet service provider but for example in a corporate environment mm. your your corporate IT people are that you know basically your conduit out to the internet what are the security implications of of you know that sort of the the aspects that you don't control in your connection to the internet and it, it's a it's a good question of course because um certainly it's it's like uh, I guess sort of a weak link in in the the in the sphere or area that an end user is able to control, and we can we can break this down into sort of two forms of um, of potential vulnerability. One I would say is the sort of the real time packet flow, exactly as you were saying, Leo, in, in your instant messenger example. That is the idea that an ISP might themselves log or even in some cases be legally compelled to log certain classes of traffic which are moving across their borders. The second category um, which is sort of different, related but different, is any sort of database or long-term storage, or, or even for that matter, short-term storage. And and the the most prevalent category there um, is email, because most ISPs provide the SMTP server that 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 remote systems use for depositing mail. Um, into their server, which will then be picked up by your POP 
um, client or your IMAP client when when you go to retrieve mail. And 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 in exactly the reverse fashion, you tend to plant mail on that server, that SMTP server, which is then relayed out to the rest of the internet. So that's you know I, the obviously the way email functions. So so there there's there's both a concern of of data flowing through the ISP and sort of this database or or storage where where you are explicitly depositing messages either incoming or outgoing um, in the form of you know email or um, uh, any other sort of like static transaction. So I guess the 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 point of clarification the the idea. That that people want some sort of um, assessment of is first of all you know what do they have to worry about? Well, anytime email is is not encrypted between endpoints, it's inherently going to be in the clear. So, for example, even if you used SSL a to create a secure connection to your ISP. SSL is encrypting your data in transit, but it's decrypting it at the other end, and it's going to be stored in the clear by the ISP. So, so there is a vulnerability there if you're just using SSL to to transfer your mail safely. It is not encrypted at the ISP, nor is it encrypted anywhere after that. When it goes across the internet and rests at the destination uh, ISP prior to being picked up by a user. Well, th- important to understand that's if you're using pop mail. If you're well, using a web-based mail, like for instance Gmail with uh, with the SSL, th- then that's encrypted, and the ISP never gets a look at it. No, it's not encrypted. It's, it's not. not in, it's not encrypted no. at the ISP, nor okay. when it goes... Okay, so SSL is only used for the login, not for the transmission. Well, it, it is used for the transmission, and it, so it's, in, it, it's encrypted in flight, but once it gets there... Well, Mike, that's not, my point. Your ISP in that case is Google. Right. So your, your internet service provider is not seeing that mail. I see what you mean. Yes, that's absolutely true. It, it, would, it would be unencrypted... When it rests on the destination server, and if that if that were Google, then it would be going through your ISP, and they couldn't see it at all. Right. right. Yeah, so, that's so, absolutely the case. And there are companies like Hushmail, for instance, that maintain encrypted mail even at the server side. So, but you have to take extreme. Uh, you have to take these extraordinary steps to make sure that your email was safe. You decrypted well, basically. Yes, and and in fact, that's where I'm headed with this. Is that the and we, and we've talked about it in passing, but I wanted to again readdress the issue of PGP in this context because people who really want to know that they've got. Uh, you know, as it's called, pretty good privacy, when in fact this is like really good privacy, of their email from the point it leaves their machine to the point it arrives at its destination, no matter what happens to it in the meantime, you need to use an extra tool like 
PGP, which is now freely available. Is it a PGP or a, a, you use a GNU PGP? Yeah, in fact, uh, the PGP Corporation is a commercial entity that currently owns the PGP code base. They make a free version, but it's, well, you've got to jump through hoops to get it. And frankly, I don't recommend people do that. They just uh, use the open source version, which is, as you say, the GNU Privacy Guard or GPG, and that's available from gnupg.org. That's what I use, and it's PGP right. completely PGP compatible. It looks just like PGP. You store, in fact, you store your key on the PGP key servers. People can use PGP interchangeably with GNU PG or GP. But um, <laughs> it's a, a little too many P's and G's here. PGP GP. The problem is, I mean, I use it to sign my mail, and if somebody sends me a key, from then on, all mail, all all of our transactions are encrypted in both directions. But but most people don't use it, so most of my mail is still unencrypted, even though I have the capability. Exactly. Well, it, you know, I'm not a PGP user. I know, I just, so I can't it, encrypt my mail to you, Steve. Well, but, you know, we're just gossiping back oh, and forth. Oh, yeah, not- well, that's easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that, that's a perfect example, too, is that most people probably don't have this concern, but it's a question that that is being asked continually. So I wanted to formally address it and just explain that that, you know, email may be encrypted on the fly, but it is not encrypted once it arrives at your ISP's server, nor is it encrypted, nor, nor does it stay encrypted from then on, unless you do something like use PGP in order to provide real end-to-end encryption, where all the server is then seeing is a blob of, of, of ASCII gibberish, that they have no way of dealing with it, no one in line. I mean, no U.S. government subpoenas, no packet logging, nothing is ever able to decrypt that. So, I mean, it is really good security from point to point. So, so the, the, the second class of, of concern is just this flow of traffic. And there, there's really nothing a user can do except, except be aware that that an ISP, unless you're using an SSL connection or a VPN in order to to tunnel through your ISP, anything you're doing is susceptible to their monitoring. Now, I mean, I don't want to, to get overboard and suggest that ISPs are monitoring. On the other hand, there has been evidence of and stories about um, the you know various factions in our in our intelligence services who you know FBI CIA NSA and so forth that are doing monitoring of ISPs well, and it seems to be something which is growing rather than than decreasing Alberto Gonzalez our esteemed attorney general has asked ISPs to keep 2 years of information on everybody just in case they need it later so and of course uh, that's voluntary that's, but it's been met with a huge amount of resistance by the ISPs because yeah, you know they they first well they yeah they say who's going to pay for that I right. mean two years of all of their traffic is a phenomenal yeah. amount of data yeah. and and it's the sort of things like okay then if you've got this much you know data how do you make any sense of it how you know how do you find a needle in a haystack literally so so you're right there there is an intent to to diminish our privacy in, in in this fashion and again pgp and using ssl connections through your isp or vpn connections provides you with you know absolute 
state-of-the-art bulletproof protection. So uh, if you're using other things like, well, just surfing or instant messenger, uh, there are encrypted instant messengers. When you're surfing with an SSL encrypted site like your bank, you're safe. But the rest of it is just floating out there in the clear. Yes, you know, for example, typical uses of Google, where you are uh, entering data into a Google form, right. uh, is not encrypted. So somebody can see what you are searching for. Of course, Google knows, and there they are, we know, building up stats for whatever purposes. They say in an anonymous fashion, but in, in, in the case of your ISP, your ISP, with whom you have an account, knows who you are, knows your identity, knows you know everything they need to know if somebody was making them or for whatever reason they were choosing to associate your traffic with you they have the ability to do so 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 yes um anytime you are not using ssl for web browsing all of the data the 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 urls you go to the 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 data you enter into non-secure forms uh you know pretty much anything you do on the net is being passed back and forth through your ISP in a way that that can be examined and filtered. So essentially, that's the answer to the question that that we get so often. <laughs> and the news is bad. <laughs> well, yeah. Again, it, it's uh, you know, you and I don't use encrypted email because we're because you don't. Because I would if you if you use PGP, we would have encrypted email. But yes, but there's nothing we're talking about. That, uh, but the point know, is that if everybody did it, then there'd be no obvious. You see, right now, if I send encrypted email with some people, the presumption is, well, look, he doesn't encrypt anything except for these few messages. We ought to look into this. If all of my streams were encrypted and if everybody did the same, there'd be no way to say, hey, this one's suspicious. Right. Well, so and in fact, Steve, it, it, install it, GPG, would you please? <laughs> I beg of you. I do have, it's funny, there are a number of people, since we've talked about this so many times now, uh, there are a number of people who use me as a test saying, can you read this? Am I getting my key? And so forth. And, and I've responded to them. They, the people who have uploaded keys to the key servers, I've downloaded the keys. And every time now we exchange email, it is automatically encrypted. I don't see it. It's, you know, it's, it's painless on my end and their end. We don't really see anything going on, but in fact, it's automatically encrypted. It's a, it's a very easy thing to do, and I think a, a very good thing to do. Well, okay. Oh. Looks like maybe, maybe I'll have to take a look at that. You don't have to. I understand. Your point is that uh, why bother? And I think a lot of right. people feel that way. But I think that uh, until everybody kind of uses it routinely, um, any use of it is then suspicious. And so, you know, there's a, there's a reason that's, why it would be nice if everybody that's, used it. A very good point. Yeah, yeah. But honest, uh, Alberto, nothing's going on here. (laughs) There's nothing, I mean, nothing to spy on. Move along. These are not the droids you want. Uh, All right, Steve, I think we've wrapped it up, yes? Yep, that was the answer to the question that we're being asked so much. I've got a couple things on the burner that... Uh, that people are going to, uh, I think, really enjoy. Uh, we mentioned last week this Mojo Pack utility yeah. or or product. Um, it looks very interesting. I've opened a dialogue with the Mojo Pack guys because I want to understand exactly what they're doing, what it what it looks like they're doing, and it's hard to divine from their website because it's mostly talking about features and benefits and oh this just does everything you know uh, that you could ever want. It's like okay, but I need to know how and exactly what in order to know where the security and privacy you know boundaries are 
What, but what it appears to do is essentially to use the, the, the facility in Windows for creating user profiles. And it allows you to, to make a completely portable user profile where all of your applications and your data and other stuff is kept on a removable device, which is, it's very cool. The problem is they must be doing more than that in order for their claims to be valid. So I, I'm going to, I hopefully have a dialogue going with them, and I hope to have a complete presentation for Security Now number 62 next week's okay. Security Now to you know, really talk about definitively what this is and, and what sort of a solution it represents. And just to wrap up my uh, discussion of uh, the parallel solution, I don't have benchmarks, and I'd, I'd love to get some, and I probably will do some. Uh, but uh, RC2 is running under the current edition of Parallels. There are a couple of little things that I'm not crazy about. One is, in, in fact, it doesn't look like I'm getting Aeroglass, and I think that's because, try as I might, I can't get Windows to assess my hardware. And until it assesses, you know, because it's running in a virtual machine, until it can do that, it can't really decide whether to run Aeros Glass. I've tried the various, there are, there are a couple of uh, registry uh, hacks that uh, supposedly will make this possible, but none of them seem to work. So, um, but it does run fine, and it seems to run at oh, nearly full speed. Until I get benchmarks, I can't prove that, but it's uh, certainly usable. And boy, it's great, a great way to run a beta operating system. And that's pretty much it. I recommend Parallels, and I will install a boot camp, and then, then I'll be able to get Aeroglass and all the other cool features, right. I'm sure. Right. All right, Steve, we'll wrap this sucker up in record time, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Security Now. Remember, it is uh, sponsored, as it has been now for almost a year, by the great folks at Astaro Corporation. They make the Astaro Security Gateway. If your small or medium business network needs superior protection from spam, from virus, from hackers, as well as complete VPN capabilities, intrusion protection content filtering and an industrial strength firewall all in one single easy to use high performance appliance my 120 is about the size of a router and it does all of that contact astaro astaro.com or call 877 the number four astaro you can schedule a free trial of an astaro security gateway appliance in your business if you're a home user a non-commercial user you can also download the software version of asg for home use Run it on any PC at astaro.com. It's open source software, very powerful. You can even, if you want, subscribe to all of those additional features running it on your hardware. It's very affordable. A-S-T-A-R-O.com. Also, thanks to Dell. They are uh, also a sponsor of this podcast and Twit and uh, Inside the Net. And uh, we invite you to visit. I finally, I broke down. Dell's been giving me these, you know, great bargain computers uh, to, to, to highlight on the Leo's Picks page. And I said, you know... These are all great, and, I, and the prices are remarkable, but i got to say, this is the one I want. <laughs> it's the Dell XPS 700. Let me just check it out. Twit.tv slash Dell. That's the one configured as I want. In fact, it's my next computer uh, for uh, using for a record. We record and edit the shows on a Windows PC. You know, I'm a Mac user for many things, but on the, on the recording and editing, I use a Windows PC, and I, need a, I want a nice, fast one. And uh, Dell's got it, the XPS 700. Check it out. Twit.tv slash Dell. And if you're in the market for a new computer or you're going to buy a new Dell, do us a favor and uh, go through that page so we get credit for it. Twit.tv slash Dell. Steve, it's been another great episode of Security Now. Uh, next Thursday, we'll have another one. Uh, Absolutely. Have a wonderful fall afternoon in beautiful Irvine, and uh, we'll see you next time. Okay, Leo, thanks. Security Now.